When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're listening to the Animation Addicts Podcast, episode 230. How do music royalties work? Welcome to the Animation Addicts Podcast with the Rotoscopers, the number one place to get your animation fix with animation addicts just like you. Each episode, we dive into the wonderful world of animation featuring Disney, DreamWorks, Pixar, and everything in between. From hilarious discussions and movie reviews to interviews with industry insiders, this show's mission is to brighten your day through our love of animation. So hop on your nerdy couch, grab some snacks, and get ready to hang out with your animation besties because it's time to dive into today's episode. Hey there, animation addicts. I'm your host, Morgan Stradling. And I'm Chelsea Robson. All right, Chelsea, I have a really funny story for you. Ready? I am ready. Okay, so my kids got this little speaker box. It's called a Tony or a Tony box. And it's basically this cube that is a speaker. And on top of it, you put these different figurines that have a collection of songs. Basically, it's a glorified CD <laughs> okay. just in figurine form. And it's it's magnetized. So you put it on the top and then it starts playing, you know, the different songs like lullabies or classic Kate songs. And of course, they have a licensing deal with Disney. So there's all sorts of Disney ones. And the one that we got, we were gifted this um, from my friend who actually works in the company, and he gave us a bunch of them just to try out, and we got a Lion King one. And so, Ooh. of course, it plays all the different Lion King songs. Some of them tell stories, too. We have a Despicable Me one that, you know, tells the story of Despicable Me, and it's pretty cool. So... You know, my kids love this thing because it's portable. It has a little charging station, but you can just take it off that and go and, you know, move it to different places of the room. So whatever room they're playing in, they like to have their Tony with them so they can jam out to music. (laughs) So yeah, super cool. They love it. Um, The not so ghetto blaster. (laughs) Yes. Also, there's like one where you can program your own songs. So you just go onto the website and then you just upload your own songs to that one and then it will play your own songs. So super cool, really fun idea. I mean, really, basically it's a glorified CD player. We, you know, 90s kids, we know this, but it (laughs) makes it a little easier for the the wee ones and you you can't scratch these, you know? So that's great. Oh, that's Nothing worse than listening to a song and then there's one part where you know, okay, well, there's a scratch on this part of the song or of the CD. So, and even worse, (laughs) tangent, when you would take that CD and you would rip it to your computer, and of course the scratch would still remain Uh, on your your MP3 version. Oh man, the struggles, the struggles. I I still feel that, right? Like I still feel (laughs) the the pain from that. (laughs) (laughs) So we were listening to this Lion King one and the song... I just can't wait to be king comes on classic and immediately I'm like, wait, there's something, there's something different here. What's happening. And I noticed that Simba's singing voice is totally different. 
it's a different guy. And we've, we grew up with this song. We grew up with this movie. Right. These, uh, you like, even just like the little beats in the background, or you know this to a T. You can sing it in your sleep. You know this song. It's been like, it's it's a core memory inside of yeah. us, right? <laughs> it is, yes. <laughs> All Disney songs. Like, it has its own wing inside our brain that's just core memories, like, cannot be deleted. Like, Disney All songs. Disney stuff. Especially <laughs> Renaissance Disney songs. Right. And so I'm like, <laughs> wait, be what, that, what the heck? But Rowan Atkinson, who plays Zazu, and then the other girl who plays young Nala, they are exactly the same. Mm-hmm. But young Simba is different. And it's like not someone they found like a Jim Cummings trying to do Scar because, you know, right. he blew out his vocal cords sort of thing. It's just like, right, no, no, this is just like a totally different guy. And I'm like, what happened here? What? Why would they do this? What's the point? So I did some digging and I came across this article from insider.com about the, the voice actor. His name is the, not the voice actor. Obviously the voice actor was JTT, Jonathan Taylor Thomas. And the, but he doesn't necessarily sing or maybe didn't sing to the level that they needed him very much in the early nineties. It was very common. Like you had a different singing voice. So Jason Weaver actually is the guy or the, the kid at the time who was uh, the singing voice for young Simba and young Simba really only has one song. Right. And I'll include a link to this article, but basically the premise is he turned down a $2 million flat deal to take royalties for this song. And so he basically had a very great agent and, and it says, and it says um, you know, the other highlight is he's and he's very happy he did so. So, Chelsea, I'm going to let you kind of take it away from here, because clearly what happened here to to kind of like jump to the end of it is his deal that he did with Disney was so good that now for these future licensing deals for this song that they you know do nowadays, they don't want to pay him. So they just <laughs> right. pay, they clearly got someone else. They paid him a one time flat fee, no royalties and said, you know, thank you very much. Uh, and now they're using this version of the song for any licensing that they're doing. Like, obviously, if you go on Spotify or any of the stream, if you're streaming the original recording, it's still going to be him. But some of these like other one off things. And I can't find any articles talking about this. I seem to be the only person who has noticed that this exists. <laughs> so, yes, that's why I wanted to kick this off today, because music royalties is just so interesting you know and here's the thing about music royalties is they are very subjective based on somebody's deal that they make and i'm going to actually go through and show you what i think happened okay and i i can't guarantee that this was it but it makes the most sense to me based on how royalties work now, yeah. for anybody who doesn't know, I'm actually I am a singer and I do put out music. I have recently had a, mo- a song put in a another movie um, that I got paid a flat fee for, so I'm not receiving royalties on that one. <laughs> wah, wah. But I'll let you guys know how it all works. My bet, I'm just going to spoil it for you. My bet is that he was licensed as a Walt Disney Records artist. And I think that is how he's getting his royalties. Think about if you go to the store and you want to buy a piano book. So that is going to be one set of royalties. And then another set of royalties is going to be the actual recording of you playing that that song on there. So you have the musical work and then you have the actual sound recording. These are two totally different types of royalties. 
Now, the publishing goes under the musical work. And so that is like the actual sheet music and the actual uh, lyrics themselves. So a writer is, say, me. I decided to, I'm writing a song. I had, I made sheet music. Okay. Now I want somebody to sell it for me. So I go to a publisher. A publisher's job is to take that sheet music and to either sell it in book form or to go to a different artist if, for mm -hmm. example, I, the writer, am not a good performer or singer. It would go to somebody like uh, who you know, who's ever very popular right now and be like, oh, this one would sell a lot of albums. And so let's see if they'll sing it for you. Mm -hmm. before, before the 2000s, it wasn't common at all for an artist to own their own publishing. They would always go through somebody else so that they could help grow them because it was just so hard to get your music out there. In the 90s, this was not a, a thing to be able to go out and get on iTunes. It wasn't a thing, mm -hmm. right? So then you have the sound recording. The labels, they actually go to the music publisher and they pay them for the right to distribute. And then they also pay the writer for the right to distribute that and create a, a recording of it. So now they own a medium of transfer, a CD in this case. They, they hired somebody, they played the music, and now they're going to sell the CD and for a dollar. So seven cents of that dollar per song per CD. So it's if I sold a song for a dollar, then... You know, mm -hmm. seven cents of that would go back to the writer and the publisher. So are we on board at this moment? <laughs> okay. Yes. Whoever owns the rights to the sound recording, meaning I'm the one that paid for the band. I'm the one that paid for the singer. I'm, I recorded it and now I have made this thing. It is an entirely separate entity, though I have paid the writer and I have paid the publisher for the right to distribute this. So if I am an artist and I own the sound recording, then I can go to different movies and say, hey, would you like to use my pretty little song in your movie? It'll be great. It'll add so much to the film. Mm -hmm. Okay. Those are called sync rights. And that is completely different from reproduction, right? Um, so sync is putting it in a movie. Reproduction is like you know those CDs? It's like the best of the 90s. Or the 90s yeah, now. Yeah. Those are reproduction rights. <laughs> it's where they take those songs and they decide, okay, this is, I'm making a new CD, but it has this whole thing. Mm -hmm. And then you have the performance rights, which is I, as the artist, go to a cafe and I play my song at this cafe. Well, this cafe actually has to pay for the right to play music in there. So they would end up paying the performance rights organizations, ASCAP, BMI, CSAC. These are the different organizations that go out and collect the collect for that. So that's where performance rights comes in. So <laughs> we're backing up. In this case, we're looking at, I just can't wait to be king. Who was it written by? It was Elton John, Tim Rice. Okay, so they own the writer's rights to this song. There's no way they're going to give that right away to anybody else. And mm -hmm. then the publisher would be Walt Disney Records. Mm -hmm. So they own the right to distribute this song in whatever form it, it may be. The labels, like a recording label, it generally represents the artists. They're generally the ones that put up the money to record these albums or these songs, which is why like recently, like Taylor Swift, she's 
in the midst of putting out all of her albums. Why? Because she wants to own all of the rights for those recordings. But the, I mean, she puts it out there. This is just my thing. <laughs> she puts it out there saying like, oh my gosh, I am the victim here because I don't own my own music. When really they're the, the, the label is the one that put up all the money to, to have it recorded. Right. They put up all of the money up front. She was an unknown here. Yes. And as- they do this, t- they do this time and time and time again. And a lot of times the risk, like the, the it doesn't pay off. Right. You know what I mean? And so, you know, there's like a hundred nobodies that they make records for and they go nowhere to one Taylor Swift who becomes this huge mega superstar. Exactly. And, you know, the bet paid off for sure. Right. So this is their their way of recouping all of this this uh, money that they're putting out for the people that they they may not see any of it back. I mean, yeah, for me to record a song full music, full band, having it recorded and in an, in a great environment, as well as mix it, master it, all of these different steps is everybody has a piece that they're being paid. And if I'm putting up that, that front, generally all of my songs be, I end up owning all the rights to my songs because I put up a lot of money up front mm-hmm. to be able to get them recorded. And then also I put up a lot of money to have the, like, if I, go out and I try and do some marketing for it. So it's like all of these things, they kind of, I got to be able to be pay myself back for. So I have great respect for Taylor Swift, but I'm just saying she's not an entirely the victim. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's super smart of her though, to come back and re-record her own stuff. Like once because again, because she's the songwriter. That's right. what makes her different than a lot of people. A lot of times they, you know, you're, you're a new artist. You're just a singer. Um, they give you songs and you perform them, but she actually writes all of her own songs. So remember, there are these two arms for you for licensing. There's the music publishing, the creation, the writing of the song, and then the actual recording of the that music. Um, so since she owns the publishing side of it by being the writer, she absolutely can then say and take that song and say, hey, I'm re-recording a different version. Exactly myself (laughs) right 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 she's like i own this i can do it again and that's completely legal uh based on the contracts that she ended up putting out i i do have to put out a little bit of a of a shout out to my one of my favorite grandma quotes was you don't get what you deserve you get what you negotiate and that is literally Mm. what music is (laughs) it's good job everything is is so much negotiation and it's like okay how much am i willing to put forth and and for what kind of a return am I able to get? So it's kind of creating that balance. Um, so in that case, so so Taylor Swift, for example, she owns the writing. She was with a different publisher. She pays somebody to get her song out there. Uh, she owns the right to record it and to republish it somewhere. Yeah. She was working as an artist on somebody else's label. And so she was getting paid as the artist and she'll still get paid as the artist on a lot of those songs even without her re-recording them she would still get paid as the artist for being on that record um because that's how that's one of the the bits of the royalties that will come back and just a little like going back for the taylor swift thing in case you're not really familiar with the situation the reason this is happening in the first place is because her music catalog was being sold and she wanted to buy it 
but obviously was outbid by Scooter Braun, who is, you know, he's a big, uh, you know, music agent. And, you know, obviously that's he's over Justin Bieber and a whole bunch of people. And she hates him, has a horrible relationship with him, wants nothing to do with him, felt very, you know, she does not want him to own her music. He ended up buying it anyway, despite, you know, which that's fine. That's his prerogative. And so that's kind of what spurned this whole thing. She's like, I don't want to have to deal or even be involved with him because he bought her back catalog, not anything new that she was coming out with. Um, Just her, her back catalog was up for sale. She didn't get it. He did. This really made her mad. Well, I mean, uh, she said, I mean, this is not a Taylor Swift podcast, but it's a great, it's a great (laughs) example example to show you how this whole thing works. And it's also in like what's going on in uh, kind of current now. Um, So Scooter Braun actually bought the master's, which means mm. the actual recording themselves. So he doesn't own the publishing to this. He owns the actual recordings. And then those recordings, he has the right to put them in sync. So he has the right to just make money off of the of, of the playing of those recordings, which is why she's just going back in and re-recording all of them and making a whole bunch more money with it by adding all of these from the vault things, which I approve of, yeah. but it's just fun to watch like how the whole thing happens like this. Anyway. So going back to the Lion King, <laughs> you had Tim Rice, you had uh, Elton John, who are the writers. The publishing was by Disney records. Okay. So now you go to the recording side. Re- Disney Re- records probably owns the masters to all of these songs. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And they went ahead and they had all of these things recorded. They're two separate different businesses. And so I think what happened was Walt Disney Animation ended up paying on paper Walt Disney Records for the use of these songs. Does that make Mm -hmm. sense? Yes. And so Walt Disney Records is really where the money is, the royalties for this is going to come in. You had Jason Weaver. He comes in. His mom says, we, we're not going to do this whole uh, one-time thing. My son is going to be a star. He's twelve, you know, super young at this point. So Walt Disney Records is probably looking at him. We could probably put him on as an artist. We could. like That may end up being a thing. Let's see where we can go with this and, and how we can maybe promote him. See if we can add him onto our roster and, and get more things out of him, right? Yeah. Another thing with the mom who was so smart in all of this, she saw that Disney had been re-releasing their films. That's just something that they had done, you know, even in in the eighties and seventies, it was just a thing that they did, you know, distribution online, Disney plus, it wasn't a thing. And so from time to time they would re-release these big films. They'd be in theaters again. They'd make a whole bunch of money again. You know, that would also correspond to CD sales and whatnot. So she saw into the future and said, Hey, we can take this one time payment, $2 million. Holy cow. Can we just talk about that? Yeah. Young Simba. In 1995. $2 million. <laughs> yeah. $2 million in 1995. Uh, that can't, I that expected to that said. to be the flat rate for Jonathan Taylor Thomas. Right. I'm just blown away for just a singer. that's for a whole other story okay she turns that down and says no we're gonna take a flat one hundred thousand dollars plus royalties and go from there so they paid him to come in and and they added him on as once again i don't know this for sure so they come in and then they add him on as an artist now as i mentioned before an artist does get royalties for certain types of airplay not a lot 
but there is like compared to like say the writer so you're looking at like elton john tim rice they are loaded obviously just from lion king let's just say they didn't have anything else in their in their catalog they got lots coming from lion king i'm sure that that was that was it they they wanted to make him an artist but then he really didn't become an artist and so you know walt disney recording records basically that's one of the things that they do is they kind of pump up artists to be able to put them out there and hope that they get more of a return by pumping them up. Once he, he proved to not be a new hip-hop artist of the decade mm-hmm. type thing, mm-hmm. and they were just like, after a while, they're like, uh, I really don't think <laughs> people will notice, even though we notice. Because now what they, I think what they did is they ended up for anything that was released after a certain date, whenever his... Um, whenever his contract maybe with them was up, they decided to re-record this or his part and then just make an entirely new master with everybody else's on there and then send that out so they don't have to pay an artist on that. Should I get it? Should we listen to it? Let me just give you a little, let me go grab it and we can just do a little, like, 10 seconds. Real Poor memories right here. Poor memories. <laughs> Wait, what? <laughs> well, I've never seen a king of beasts with quite so little. He lights up. I'm gonna be. Wait, I don't think that's him though. Thus far, a rather uninspiring. That's might not, be right. Oh, that's not Rowan Atkins tonight. They found someone who's... They recorded this whole thing again. Now when I said that, I... What I meant was... Look, what you don't realize... Now see Oh yeah, all of these are good. Okay, I'm totally wrong here. This, this symbol's so older. Yeah. I think it's time that you and I arranged a heart-to-heart. Kings don't need advice from little Horfield's first If this is where the monarchy is yeah, yeah. These are all different. me out, out of service, out of Africa, I would hang about. This child is getting wildly out of wing. Oh, I just can't wait to be
mean, it doesn't even matter. It, this still would be the thing if that were the case. Yeah, Lion King. So these are, okay, so these are just covers. So with the Tony box, with the recording, not only is young Simba different, but Zazu is different and young Nala. Now, Zazu actually sounds like Rowan Atkinson. They found someone to really mimic Zazu as we know it. But yeah, as far as the actual Simba voice, you can tell it's different. So one thing about Jason Weaver and this whole deal, he will include a link in the show notes so you can read it. It's a really interesting interview. And at the bottom, there is a video interview where he's talking about it. He's just really proud and happy that this ended up working out the way that he did. Um, He has said that from his royalties, they will be passed down to his children and to their children. Right. Which just makes me wonder, how much money do you think Jason Weaver has made from Hakuna Matata and I just can't wait to be king. Just the singing. Oh, see, now that's just so hard to, to decide because, I mean, he, he says self-admittedly that he has made more than $2 more million than dollars two, yeah. over the years. Granted, I mean, you also have to look at, okay, $2 million in 1995, the value of the dollar, like the purchasing power of the dollar was a lot stronger than it is today. And, yes. Um, so... Another subject. Anyway, that's <laughs> but that's that, with any time we're talking about money. Yes, right. But that's um, so if you look at, OK, with the purchasing power of the time, but he was also like 12 or something around that. I don't know how old he was, but it was like a young kid. And he's like he even in the interview, he's just like, it's not like I would have been like buying 401ks or anything like that. <laughs> but I'm like, that's true. <laughs> so, um, yeah, he was he's done very well. And I've, I'm also looking at different. Uh, looking up different things and it's like Jason Weaver has a net worth of four million dollars okay um I don't know I feel like those net worth things it's like how do you even know yeah how do you know my private assets (laughs) right exactly I don't know if I were to make a guess 20 million 30 million no I mean Definitely not. I don't know. I can't even speculate. But he said, you know, enough to pass on to your children and your grandchildren. Well, that's the thing about royalties, though, is they continue on for like 100 years. Yeah. So it's not necessarily that he has the money now that will have been going. It's just as but he said, like on. the money. I think he's talking about money now for sure. Like that oh. will well, he'll be able to hopefully. pass on, like not even counting like future payouts. Yeah. Hopefully he does. Either have a way, good investment Jason strategy. Weaver's mom, you're the best. <laughs> You are the best. Yes. She and my grandma would have been friends. <laughs> um, so here's another side note as far as like that I find the most interesting is when a movie comes in and they want to use a song for their film. Now, they, they're not they are a separate entity than the recording artist or the recording label or even the publishing side. But they have to go to both whoever owns the rights of both the publishing and also the sync rights, which is the, the, the ability to synchronize a song with a picture. And so the Mm -hmm. sync rights come from the the recorded of the master over here of the, the actual song. And they have to get a number for each side. So say like for the basis of really easy money, I am the writer of a song and I want a hundred dollars for somebody to put into the, put the song that I wrote into their movie. Well, I am you too. And I recorded that song, 
but I want a thousand dollars to put my song into that movie. Well, mm -hmm. if the studio wants it that much, whoever has the highest rate, they automatically have to pay the exact amount to both sides. Oh, interesting. It's so interesting. And I had no idea about this until like a couple years ago. And I was like, what? So there's been songs out there that, you know, they have like these people who are like, I want a million dollars to put my recording in your song, in your movie. And so the director was like, well, that's basically all of my music budget, but that's the song that I want in there. So yes. And so they'll pay $2 million to have this song in their movie. And it's just like, <laughs> what? <laughs> wow. So that's just a, an interesting side uh, side bit. But those are different rules that they have. Like somebody, they have to be equal. But that's also one reason they're like, I really like the song, Let It Go. But I don't want to pay for the original Adina Menzel singing this. I want a, somebody else's cover version. And so mm -hmm. instead of paying the huge amount, which I'm sure they would never even let their, that song be put into other movies but what they'll do is they'll have they'll go to somebody online who did a cover or whatever and then they will pay that person for the right to cover that or the right to use that song in their movie as long as the licensors of the musical work agree to a certain number and then they both end up getting a really high payout <laughs> so it's fascinating those this are really whole... fascinating the music royalty thing, it's just the gift that keeps on giving. It to an extent, but yes. It blows my mind, you know, just, yeah. And I just, you know, obviously we didn't really talk about like movie rights, but this also applies to actors in a way. It's not necessarily music royalties, but just like the whole royalties discussion. You know, if your movie gets played again on TV, then you get a portion of that, which I think is pretty crazy. So yeah, just a, a really, really complex world out there. Yeah. So this is all pre-internet distribution uh, contracts. The internet is what you would call a disruptive technology. And the music industry hated it. <laughs> they did not want the internet to be a thing because, you know, you came around with all of these other Napster and all these other sites. And really, it did disrupt their monopoly on music. And so they basically could charge whatever they wanted for certain things and then people that's what people would have to pay and it also kept other artists out of the game it kept everybody else it you know all of the barriers to entry were so high that you had to have a label to be able to put you in you had to have a publisher to be able to get your song out there you had to do these things uh, but once the internet came around and people were just like, hey, I can make some beats on my computer and put it out there, <laughs> you know, and that's what it is today. And so everybody yeah. generally owns record labels are almost going extinct. And you also have uh, publishing that is almost going extinct. So these um, publishing, they're not getting any new revenue. They're only you know, being able to profit off of the old stuff. And so mm -hmm. it, just how the whole industry has shifted is is also completely fascinating. But yeah, that's that's our how the music works. <laughs> For anybody who's listening, it really makes a lot more sense if you go to and, and look at this diagram that we have on here. It's uh, in the show notes. And it says the type of licenses 
who is l trying to get the license, who collects the money for those, and then who they are paid to. And it it kind of helps just block things out so you're able to like, okay, I get more of this. I like it. All right. Thank you so much for joining us for this episode of the Animation Addicts podcast. If you love the show, we would love it if you could leave us a five-star review in iTunes. We love your ratings and reviews. They really do help keep the show going. And of course, we have to shout out our patrons. We love our patrons so much, and they are amazing. Kat is one of our patrons, and on our most recent episode about Howard, she said, great discussion on a great documentary about a great person. This episode really did brighten my day. So thank you so much, Kat. You, the patrons, brighten our day, and and we just love doing this show for you guys. So whatever way you can support the show, we completely understand the freeway. Give us a five-star review. We love it. If you want even more perks, like more episodes, behind the scenes, lots of fun stuff over in our patron community, go to rotoscopers.com slash patron. And until next time, we, we are, are the Rotoscopers. Rotoscopers. So did that make sense? <laughs> You've been listening to the Animation Addicts podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe and be sure to leave us a five-star review. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you want to help spread the word, be sure to share the podcast with your friends on social media. Just don't forget to tag us at Rotoscopers on Instagram and use the hashtag Animation Addicts. For all the links and full show notes for this episode, go to rotoscopers.com slash podcast. Now, if you still can't get enough for your animation fix, be sure to subscribe to us on YouTube.